Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hey guys, it's Jerry and Tracy. From Hillbilly Horror Stories, you are listening to one of our favorite podcasts, History Goes Bump. It is hosted by two awesome podcasters, but more importantly, two awesome people. Thank you so much, Diane and Denise, for all of your help and support. Thank you. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 210th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are bringing you a suggestion from listener Sarah Kavinsky, and that is the 1790 Inn in Savannah, Georgia, one of our favorite cities in America. Yes, it is. We love Savannah. So we're looking forward to bringing that to you. Before we do that, we have a little milestone to celebrate. Denise, a couple days ago, we hit 2 million downloads. That is just crazy. That is so exciting and so humbling. Yeah, we can't believe it. We thought, you know, we'll have a couple of friends and our families listening. And obviously, that's not the case. Thank you so much to you guys for listening and for definitely sharing it, because that's how it's getting out there to everybody, because you guys are sharing it. So we appreciate that. We also had a ton of rewards to send out to our executive producers in the month of July, Denise. And we had our first executive producer that's been with us for two years at the $10 and above level. So she's getting her second free t-shirt. Cool. I like giving away free stuff. I do too. It's fabulous. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Andrea. Hey, Andrea. Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Tracy. Hey, Tracy. Jennifer. Hello, Jennifer. Allie with a Y. Hey, Allie with a Y. Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline. Karen. Hey, Karen. And Kim. Hello, Kim. And now, this moment in oddity. This moment in oddity was suggested by Tammy McCarroll Burroughs. During the 1940s, a very famous chicken lived in Fruta, Colorado. He was a lucky chicken. You see, Miracle Mike was supposed to be dinner, but instead he became famous and went on tour. It all started on September 10th, 1945, when farmer Lloyd Olson headed out into the yard with an axe to fetch a chicken for dinner. He chose a five and a half month old Wyandotte chicken named Mike. Lloyd swung the axe, but when he brought it down, he missed his mark. The axe only removed part of Mike's head. The jugular vein and ear and most of the brainstem were still intact. Lloyd took pity on the creature and decided that Mike was meant to live. Mike could balance on a perch and make attempts at crowing, preening, and pecking at food. Lloyd fed the chicken milk and water with an eyedropper and threw in a few small grains of corn every once in a while. Soon, Lloyd and Mike were traveling on the road with sideshows and he was photographed dozens of times, making features in both Life and Time magazines. 
Mike the Headless Chicken was making $4,500 a month at the height of his career. He lived for 18 months after his head had been cut off. He died in a motel room while on tour. Somehow, in the middle of the night, he had managed to get a kernel of corn stuck in his throat, and he began to choke. The Olsons were unable to save him. The fact that a chicken was able to live so long without a head and also became so famous certainly is odd. the lights. The party's just getting started. And now this month in history. In the month of July, on the 1st in 1893, President Grover Cleveland underwent secret cancer surgery aboard a yacht owned by his friend Commodore E.C. Benedict. Grover Cleveland was the 22nd and 24th President of the United States, and this surgery came during his second stint. The Panic of 1893 was raging that same year, and it was thought that if the public knew that the President had cancer and was undergoing surgery, it would cause further panic. The cancerous tumor was on his soft palate. The entire left side of his jaw was removed along with a small portion of his soft palate while his friend's yacht cruised in Long Island Sound. The president was unable to talk until he was fitted with a rubber prosthetic during a second, smaller operation on July 17th. He wore that until his death in 1908. The public never knew about the president's brush with cancer or his secret surgery. Savannah, Georgia is a city shaped by unique people and compelling events. There have been battles, devastating fires, murders, and so much more that has led this quaint city to be deemed one of the most haunted in America. Ghost stories and legends thrive beneath the canopy of Spanish moss-draped live oak trees. Stately historical mansions carry histories dating back centuries, and each seems to have a supernatural story of its own. The oldest hotel in Savannah is the 1790 Restaurant and Inn, which was built in 1820. There are stories that up to three ghosts haunt the property. The most famous is the ghost that stays in room 204 and whom everybody refers to as Anne. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the 1790 Inn. Savannah was colonized by the British under the leadership of General James Oglethorpe, who arrived in 1733. The Yamacras were the Native Americans here, and they were led by Tomachichi. He and Oglethorpe formed a friendship, and their alliance helped to build the city with little confrontation. During these early colonial years, the city was founded as a major port. The city was platted in squares that still exist today as parks, surrounded by large historic mansions. And what's really neat is you can walk the entire square area that's all the historic district by foot, and you can do it easily in a day. They do have a trolley that will take you around and tell you the history as you go, so we suggest that if you're ever there, you do that first. But then after that, you can explore all on your own. There's no need to do the on and off trolley. And I just had to giggle. Every time I see the platted in squares, I just always remember that the plat is in the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing. We will never forget that episode with Mom, who incidentally got to go to Savannah for the first time a little while ago with us. 
Yes, and we had a lot of fun with them. Savannah eventually became the colonial capital of Georgia. Steel White was a planter from Virginia, and he decided to build a boarding house in the steadily growing city. Construction began in 1820 on the original duplex, but White was killed in a riding accident before the house was finished. His wife, Anne, was left widowed and heartbroken. She moved from the house to the Isle of Hope, south of Savannah, where she lived with her sister and her brother-in-law for many years. The year 1820 was a rough one for Savannah. A yellow fever epidemic was sweeping through, wiping out entire families. On January 11th, the Great Savannah Fire touched off and spread quickly with the help of high winds. The fire eventually reached Ellis Square, where gunpowder was stored in buildings, and the explosion spread the fire further. The boarding house was built in the federal style with a brick first floor and wooden upper floors. The construction was completed in 1823. The Powers family bought the property in 1888 and added the smaller eastern section at that time. The boarding house eventually became a hotel. Today, the 1790 Inn is a restaurant and tavern and B&B on President Street in the historic district there in Savannah. I searched high and low to try to figure out where this name came from because it certainly isn't for the year it was built because construction was completed in 1823. The address is 307, and I believe it's 307 East President Street. So it's not the address either. There is an original slate floor and bricks that are said to predate the original building that was constructed by Steel White. So perhaps there was a structure here that was built in 1790 and maybe it burned down in the fire in 1820 because this duplex that was built by Steel White would have gone up after the fire because the fire was in January and this was completed in 1823. So the fire wouldn't have affected the inn, but maybe there had been something there before and that burned down in the fire and all that was left was the slate floor and bricks. Whatever the case may be, the hotel itself does not have that history and I couldn't find it anywhere. So I don't know. It's a big mystery. If anybody knows why this inn would have been called 1790, I'd love to know. The tavern is on the ground floor. It resembles a trading vessel with a charming bar in the rear. Another building was purchased across the street and the check-in desk for the B&B was relocated over there. And so what this did is this added more rooms and there's a parking lot over there and a patio. The reason why the parking lot is so important is there is not much parking in Savannah as we have come to find. It is at a premium to get it. So this B&B having its own parking lot is a big plus. Now, I have heard it's a pretty small parking lot and it's very difficult to get in and out of, but at least they've got it. So if you're counting all the buildings they have here, there's actually three buildings that make up this property. They have approximately 14 guest rooms and some of them have fireplaces. The rooms are decorated with reproductions of 1800 styled furniture. And one of the interesting things is the rooms have journals that are left on the bedside tables for guests to record any of their haunting experiences. That always makes me laugh because we've talked about it before, but it's at one time in our history, you know how no way wanted anybody to know that your place of business or your hotel was haunted because they wouldn't come. You know, it would drive people away and now they're leaving journals just so you can record those hauntings so they can kind of monopolize on them. So we've we've come a long way, baby. 
We definitely have. And not only do they leave them there for you to jot down your own experiences, but obviously you can flip through and read other people's experiences, some of which include glasses that fly off of tables and crash to the floor, and then some that deal with some of the specifically three ghosts that they think they have going on here. So speaking of ghosts, the ghost tours stop on a regular basis at the tavern for stories and drinks. This is one of the more famously haunted locations in Savannah and has been featured on reality ghost television. Room 204 is said to be the most haunted area of the bed and breakfast. Several times a year, people staying in this room end up leaving in the middle of the night. And to add to the creepiness, a life-size female mannequin dressed in a period dress is set up looking out of the second story window. That would creep me out even with no ghost. I'd be like, no, thank you. Don't want to stay there. Can you imagine coming back after drinking at maybe a local bar or the tavern that's right there and you come up to your room there and you're, you're going down the hallway and you're like, oh, there's somebody in the window and you're like, ah! Well, the funny thing is kind of along those lines is the house, my host in Dublin, Ireland, when I went, they had one of those punching bags that look like, I can't remember, he has a name, but it looks like the upper body of a man. And they had it out in the hall. And that startled me when I walked out of the room I was staying in because it was just this outline of a man there. It was like, oh, that that made me jump. So I'm sure a creepy mannequin dressed in period clothing would probably make me wet my pants as well. And you can imagine when the ghost tours stop in (laughs) front of this inn and the guests decide to have a little bit of fun. Hey, let's move the mannequin around. (laughs) So there's people who report, oh my God, there was something in the window and it moved. So they have some fun with that too. The spirit that haunts room 204 has been named Anne, but this is not the wife of the original owner. The specter likes to move guest objects and rearrange items in the room. Disembodied sobs have been heard, and these are accompanied at times by a shadowy figure that lurks in the dark corners of the room. Bed sheets are tugged as well. So who is this Anne and what is her story? People claim that she was a heartbroken woman who threw herself from a second story balcony to the stone street below. The Powers family had an Anne, but she lived into her 80s and had a husband named Patrick who lived into his 80s as well, according to the 1920 census. Obviously, the spirit may not even belong to someone named Anne. There are no reports that we could find anywhere for a death at the hotel, but it could be someone who was attached to the building in some way. So if it maybe is the wife of the first owner, somebody who was part of the Powers family that were the second owners, maybe they really loved it and are stuck to it. We couldn't find anything, but they will tell you the story over and over again that this person must have taken a header from the balcony because falling two stories, it could do some damage. But unless you fall on your head, it probably is not necessarily going to kill you. You wouldn't think, would you? Well, maybe on a stone street. It would depend. A ghost tour guide named James Caskey tells a story about a waiter named Sean. He says that Anne seemed to really dislike him. Sean was collecting the B&B mail cards from the first, second, and third floors. And what they do is there are these little door hangers that you can hang on there. And it basically, I guess it says what you want to have for your meal in the morning or something. So he's picking those up and as he's doing it, he gets this real feeling of apprehension and like somebody is watching him and he's very uncomfortable. Then there was this odd coldness that increased as he managed to make his way up to the third floor. When he was up there on the third floor, suddenly he felt as though something picked him up off the floor, what he perceived to be about six inches. That's, you know, pretty far to get picked up off the floor. When he was released, he ran down the stairs. As would any normal person. (laughs) 
I would have been like, my job's done. See ya. (laughs) Not only am I done for the day, that's probably it for me for good. The Travel Channel wanted to interview Sean about his experience. So they thought, hey, wouldn't this be great if we go ahead and have the interview in room 204, the big haunted room? Sean could not go in there for the interview. The room wouldn't let him in. He could not enter the room. Something physically barred him from entering. Isn't that weird? It's very weird. (laughs) A woman named Lynn was on a trip from Florida to New York with her daughters when they decided to overnight at the 1790 Inn. They were aware of its haunted reputation. The only room available was 204. After they entered the room, Lynn immediately noticed a teddy bear on the fireplace mantel, and she recognized it from an episode of Ghost Hunters. It had a purple ball between its legs and had Mardi Gras beads wrapped around its body. The paranormal investigators had used the bear as a trigger object. Her daughters started using Snapchat to send pictures to friends, and they began to tempt the spirits. They called out, Are you there, Anne? And, Anne, do you want to play? Suddenly, the ball between the bear's legs flew off the mantle and stopped in the center of the room on the floor. Lynn picked up the ball and placed it back with the bear. She wanted to believe that somehow it had rolled off all on its own. She tested it several times, tapping the ball lightly to start it rolling down the mantle. It never rolled far enough to land in the center of the room. The girls turned on a lamp and then flicked it off before going to dinner. When they came back to the room, they attempted to turn the light on and it would not come on. They discovered that the lamp had been unplugged and none of them had unplugged it. The women spent the evening having a hard time falling asleep as the windows rattled, the doorknob jiggled, and something kept scratching at the end of the bedpost. And so as all of you know, the rule, you should never, ever tempt the spirits. There are plenty of people who've stayed in that room because I was looking through some of the journal entries. They have some of them posted on their website. And there's a lot of people that have stayed in the room and also over on TripAdvisor. Never had anything happen to them. So I'm wondering if it's because they were really trying to engage with her that they got some activity. Possibly. So that would be Diane. And I would be (laughs) like telling her no. Now, I haven't seen the Ghost Hunters episode, or I did a long time ago, and I don't remember it. So I'm not sure if they got any activity with that bear, but pretty interesting story. A couple reported after staying in room 204, quote, When we were packing up to move our stuff the next morning, I put my little camera bag on the bed. I'd left it in the room when we went down for breakfast. Before leaving, we did our usual idiot check. See, we need to start calling it that, Denise. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of our last uh, time sweep through, we're going to start calling it the idiot check to see what we left. (laughs) Great. (laughs) To be sure we didn't leave anything behind. We'd already moved our stuff down to the car when I noticed the camera wasn't in the bag. I got the key from the desk and Tom went back up to the room to take a look. He immediately saw it in plain sight sitting in the middle of the chair by the window. The camera wasn't in the chair when we had first left the room because we would have seen it. The maid hadn't been in the room yet, so it must have been the entity of Anne returning the camera after she had looked at it. Cal wrote on TripAdvisor, For our second night, we decided to move up to the haunted room, 204. While we didn't expect anything to happen, we thought that it would be fun to say we stayed in the haunted room. Well, we definitely experienced some unexplainable things. Nothing happened at first, but as the night went on, we were absolutely graced with Anne's presence. Anne is the ghost. She hid our keys, pulled the vitamin out of a pocket and placed it on the fireplace, unzipped my purse a couple of times. It was crazy. Anne is not the only ghost. There's reportedly the spirit of a voodoo practitioner here. 
The kitchen is a favorite haunt for this ghost, and it generally presents as something sinister and dark. The spirit has a dislike for women and has thrown pots, pushed and slapped women, and pulled pranks on them. She jangles her bracelets at them as well. So apparently they believe that this is a female entity. Employees claim to hear people in the kitchen when no one is in there, and also the sounds of metal jingling and pots banging around. They say the spirit belongs to a former cook at the hotel who practiced voodoo. She occasionally leaves the kitchen and ventures into the restaurant where she pushes silverware off of the tables. A maintenance man was doing some work in the hotel when he heard the sobbing of a woman coming from the kitchen. He investigated to see if he could be of some help, and he found the kitchen empty. The ghost of a merchant marine is reputedly at the 1790 Inn also. This is a friendly apparition that has been helpful to the staff and enjoys music. He is seen dressed in his uniform and walking through the garden room or sitting and listening to the piano player. He once helped shut a light off for a staff member who could not reach it without stepping up on a chair. A TripAdvisor review mentions a ghost named Thaddeus, who we assume would be the spirit. Is the 1790 Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. This is actually one location that I don't ever remember seeing, Denise. We've passed by a lot and been in a lot of them there, but I do not recall this one at all. Nope, so we'll just have to keep our eyes and ears open next time we're up in Savannah. And maybe stay in room 204. Uh, Let's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're looking forward to bringing you more locations in Savannah. I think because we've been there so many times, it's something that we always end up backburnering. But uh, I'd like to, to focus on some more places there for sure. One episode that proved to be incredibly popular is The Haunted Cemeteries, our first one. You guys absolutely loved that. As a matter of fact, it's almost our top download other than our Halloween episode. So we thought we better get another one of those in here since you guys seem to love it so much. So our very next episode is going to be Haunted Cemeteries number two. We haven't solidified all of them that we're going to look at, but I do have at least three. And I think you'll find these places fascinating. Yes, and we love cemeteries, and so it's always fun to talk about them. And as I started searching for them, Denise, it would seem that there are a lot of haunted cemeteries out there. So we're going to have a lot of these coming. Very cool. So we'll have three, four, five, six, seven. Something like that. Now, Denise, I know you're a big fan of haunted lighthouses. I love lighthouses, and when they have ghosts, they're even better. Yeah, and I uh, I think you were mentioning something about starting your own series over on the bonus episodes about haunted lighthouses. Yes, so I'm taking it as a hint that I better get busy. <laughs> Got it. Start getting some research done over there, lady. Yes, uh, ma'am. She's been doing her haunted animals, but now she's going to do some some lighthouses as well. So that should be interesting. And we just got our third exclusive video up for executive producers that are giving at the $2 or above level. And this one features the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. We take you through a a tour of the interior there and tell you some of the ghost stories and history. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And it's July, so that means that we are getting ever closer to October. And there's a couple of things that we do in October now that we need your help with. We already have a small stack growing of your ghost stories that you guys have had personal experiences. These are ones that are not necessarily related to any particular location, haunted historic property. These could be something like maybe you saw your grandmother's ghost or what have you. 
any of your own personal experiences that are supernatural, weird dreams, maybe you saw a UFO or a Bigfoot or something like that, the Halloween episode is your chance to share those stories with us. So if you guys have something you want to share, go ahead and let us know and you can either type it up and we'll share it for you or you can come on and share it for yourself. But we thought we better start getting those going so that we can get that all compiled and and get you guys ready for that. Also, October 1st will be our three-year anniversary. And last year, we celebrated by having a flash fiction contest. We're going to do that again this year. So be getting your stories done. The rules go has to be under a thousand words. If you go a little bit over, that's okay. But we try to keep it to about a thousand words. That's why it's called flash fiction. Something that is supernatural, science fiction-y, fantasy, horror type. Something that would fit with the theme of our podcast. We do ask that you keep it not too gory or like not too... We're looking for PG-13. Yes, yes, because we do have younger listeners to the show and they like to join us on on the special ones. And we found last year that they were just as creepy and scary at that level as they, you know, if you throw all the gratuitous violence and sex and cursing into it. So exactly. So be thinking about that. We'll let you know when the deadline is to get those into us. And we'll have our first, second and third place winners. Last year, we did medals for you guys and then t-shirts and mugs and I think uh, a hoodie or something like that. So We'll, we'll get the prizes all set up and the rules and everything together. But be thinking about it, maybe scratching something out, and uh, we'll get those rules out to you guys. And also, I want everybody to be paying attention to the History Goes Bump page as well as the Spooktacular Crew page because we are in the process of putting together a trip, a History Goes Bump trip for next July 2018 to the Florida Keys. And so you definitely want to be paying attention because we are going to open up the registration once everything gets set and you want to be on that trip because it's going to be a lot of fun. We have a few reviews to share with you. The first one over on iTunes is from Ice Fox MI. Cool podcast, five stars. I really like this podcast, especially this moment, Naughty. They do a good job at getting out facts about places. Well, thank you, Ice Fox. We appreciate that. And then we have another review from Canada. And might we go ahead and say happy birthday to Canada, which turned 150 a couple of days ago. Yes, happy 150th Canada. Of course, some of our people across the pond are like going 150, 200. You guys are babies over there. And this is from Sarbear1991, who is Sarah Norton. The best, the best, the best five stars. I know I've posted many times on many platforms on how much I love this podcast. Definitely worth a listen to. Diane and Denise are amazing. Had the pleasure of being interviewed by them for a future episode on Fort Henry, which you guys have already heard. If you get a chance to be on the podcast, please know that these ladies are amazing at making you feel comfortable. I have nothing but good things to say. If you love history and ghosts, this is worth the listen. Well, thank you so much for that, Sarah. And we do. We try to make you guys feel like, don't be nervous. It's just us hanging out and talking. And uh, with my editing skills, we make you sound like you've been doing this for decades. And then, Denise, I always forget about going over and checking Stitcher every so often, and we've been getting some reviews over there. So this one is from Citrus Sunshine on Stitcher, five stars. History and the paranormal is amazing, but the hosts make this show addictive. They aren't ready to admit everything that happens is paranormal, but they admit some stuff might be. They tell you the history of the place as well as the paranormal stories. Plus, they have the moment noddity in this month in history, history and fun. Well, thank you, Citrus Sunshine. We appreciate that. 
Makes me think you might be from Florida. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Tom the Viking. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you. Thank you.